0: Ebullient greetings. I'm your host, Jackie Bird of Jackie Bird Spiritual Wellness, your guide to stress and anxiety relief, mindfulness, awareness, self care, self love, and personal growth. Welcome and thank you for joining me as we roll with peace in mind. Today's riff is Are You On the Right Train? Riding on the Urge. These episodes feature people who are doing their thing. They follow their heart and their passion and they create how they want, what they want, when they want, and they are riding on the right train. Today's spotlight is Saida Garrett. I am so excited to have my longtime friend Saida Garrett here and You know, the thing I have to say about her before we even get going is, Sai you've always had this life that always seemed not easy, but things just flow to you. This is true.
1: Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Well, it's not as if it was planned. And you're right. Things do flow to me. It's not because I plan anything, because I really think... The universe is the master plan. And that is reflected in my life in what yes. I do, how I act, yes. um, how, how I respond to things. Yes. So um, if I could say in a sentence what my life is like, I would have to quote Rumi, the Persian poet, mm-hmm. who Love says, Rumi. Live your life as though it's rigged in your favor.
0: Okay, now she just dropped the bomb, and we're not even five minutes into the interview, okay? But that's my friend. That's my friend, Sai. So, I'm going to yeah. have her introduce herself. Who are you, honey, even though I told everybody who you were, but
1: Okay. Go for it. So, I'm Saida Garrett, and uh, I do several things. I teach English as a second language, uh, part-time, as well as adult basic education. And I'm the founder and president of a nonprofit organization called Pastoralist Child Foundation. I also teach French part-time at an adult school here in New Jersey. And um, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother, I'm Yay! a sister, I'm all those things. <laughs> and uh, I'm originally from Montreal, Canada. and I've been in New Jersey since I married in 1984 so I've actually lived that's in the right. United States longer than in my native country of that's
0: really kind of interesting how yeah. that goes and yeah. um Saida yeah. comes from a, a musical legacy you want
1: to talk about your dad just a little bit sure so my dad was born Russell Linwood Thomas <laughs> <laughs> and he's from Harlem New York and he was a saxophonist. He was a kick-ass woodwind musician. Mm-hmm. The flutes from the piccolo to the bass flute, the clarinet, the all the saxophones from the soprano to the bass saxophone. He did go to music and art high school when he lived in New York. And then when he moved to Canada, he became a music teacher. And at an early age, when we were one, two, three, four, five years old, Duke Ellington asked him to be a part, a member of his band. But because we were very young, my dad didn't want to travel and all that. So, fast forward to the 80s, um, my dad subbed in Montreal for a musician who couldn't make it to the gig at Place des Arts in Montreal. So. The local musicians' union said, call Saeed. So in the meantime, my dad had changed his name mm-hmm. from Russell Linwood Thomas to Saeed Abdul Al-Khabir um, when we embraced Islam in 1971. So he never really traveled when we were kids, but when we were all grown, that's when he met Mercer again and joined the Duke Ellington Orchestra. Wow. So wait a minute. He
0: wasn't in yep. the in the orchestra when I did Sophisticated Ladies, was he? He was in... No. He wasn't.
1: Okay. He had gone back to Montreal. I think. Wow, yes. how funny.
0: Mm-hmm. But um you know, Cyan and I have been friends for half our lives at yes. this point. Yes. So when I met you, Right. what were you doing when I met you? Dating Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? When I met you, you guys were engaged. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You because it was so sweet. He he had talked about you, and then mm-hmm. we met you when we came to Montreal. I was like, right, she's so pretty. No, uh, wait a minute, Toronto. Toronto. I think we went Toronto in Toronto. In and Toronto. You came. Yes. yes. I was like, she's so pretty. Right. She's so nice. Aww. But the first yeah. job I remember you having. Mm-hmm. Was American Express. Yes.
1: I worked at American... As soon as I moved to New York. Well, we live in New Jersey, but yes, my first job was at American Express Bank in New York. And were you an executive 84. assistant? An execu- yeah, executive
0: assistant
1: and in you correspondent seemed, banking.
0: And you seem like you enjoyed your job, I if did. I'm remembering. I did. See, that's the thing about you. Yes. I, I, as long as I've known you, mm-hmm. you have seem to have enjoyed whatever you, it was that you were doing. Very true. And so, I think... You know, again, just having observed you Mm -hmm. as a friend, Mm. that's also seems to be part of why things flow to you. Right. Because you have a sense
1: of enjoyment and appreciation. Right. And what happened with, what I loved about working at American Express Bank was I got to use my languages. So because I was in the international banking department, I was speaking with people in French and Russian and Italian. I got to use my languages and I also learned excellent skills that I took to my next job, which was in the non-profit field. And that's what I remember. You were yes. able
0: is it seven languages you speak flu- fluently? Not anymore.
1: No, oh, I'm a little wow. rusty. I I can say I speak English and English, French, and Russian. Okay. My Ukrainian is. I know I'm half Ukrainian, so my Ukrainian is from many years ago when I went to Ukrainian school as a girl. My my Spanish is pretty good. Okay. Um, I would say intermediate level Spanish, mm-hmm. and my mm-hmm. Arabic isn't bad. It's not really conversational, but. As a Muslim, we learn to pray in Arabic, so I know how to read and write and obviously say my prayers in Arabic. Okay. Yeah. So
0: what are the the ones that you're you're rusty
1: in? Cuz wasn't it cuz wasn't it 7? Seven? Yeah. 7 at one time, yeah. Okay. So yeah. who who's, so I had a little Italian, some German, uh, but I don't get to use them now, right? Okay. So they're they're pretty rusty. Conversationally, I can I can get by. And I can say hello, thank you, goodbye, you're welcome in probably 20 languages. Pause. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was my head exploding, okay? <laughs> oh my gosh. American Express, yes. then you go to a nonprofit. Yeah, for the homeless population. And I, was... I
1: vaguely remember that. Mm-hmm.
0: And then, how did you end up teaching ESL. English? Was
1: like, yeah. Yeah, so when I was laid off in 87 at the homeless agency, this was during the big crash. Right. Um, I took an ESL, a friend of mine, Hayat, said, Saida, she was always telling me, you should teach English. You should teach English. Because my English skills are very good, grammar, etc. I can vouch so for that. <laughs> 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 So she was always. So she encouraged me during that time to get certified as an ESL teacher. So I got certified as an ESL teacher and then I joined a non- another nonprofit. Um, in East Orange, New Jersey, where I'm still teaching after nine years, the ESL and wow. adult basic Is it education. Nine years? It's yeah. nine years. Yeah. It feels like you just started. Yeah, I started actually on my wedding anniversary in 2010. I started there. Oh my goodness. And I'm still there.
0: Would you say, mm-hmm. because you said that you you were, it's not like you plan things no. per se. Have you kind of gone where? Mm-hmm. Uh, your spirit led you or yes. were you just
1: open to receive like it's both okay it's definitely both. Um, I'm very open-minded I I don't plan things per se. Mm-hmm. Of course I have you know hopes and dreams and wishes and all that mm-hmm. but I kind of leave it out there as to someone's gonna make a better decision than me mm-hmm. right So I go with my feelings my gut, And sometimes Ah, I'll just automatically say yes. Which brings us to to (laughs) how I founded Pastorless Child Foundation, right? So I do foster an elephant at the David Sheldrick Wildlife Trust. And in 2012, my husband, daughter, and I, we were watching a documentary film about elephants. Hmm. And when it was over, I said, I want to go to Kenya, where my fostered elephant is. I want to see elephants, my favorite animals, in the wild, in their natural habitat. So my husband said, Oh, you can see elephants on YouTube. <laughs> and that sounds like right? So in my mind I said, F you. I'm going to Kenya. Because you know I can't swear. My right. husband is very proper. Right. So in my mind I just said, F you, I'm going to Kenya. So I went on a solo safari to Kenya in August of 20, 2012. And the second day that I was there, I visited a Maasai village. I was the only visitor that morning. I was there for an hour and a half. They welcomed me with song and dance, and I danced with them, and I played with the children. I visited inside the manyata, the houses. I was blown away. And in the meantime, there was a brother who said, Saida, would you like me to take pictures with your camera? And I practically threw it at him (laughs) because I was so grateful that someone, you know, would take pictures while I'm, you know, enjoying the, the community. So I go back to the lodge where I was staying, and the day before, when I arrived, I met the assistant restaurant captain. His name is Samuel. So I go to the dining room, and I'm calling Samuel, waving him, come over, come here, you've got to see these pictures. So I'm showing him all these pictures, look at the kids, look at the beautiful women, all the beautiful hand-beaded, handmade jewelry, etc. And so finally, after all this excitement, he says, well, Saida, you visited my village. And I go, really? He goes, yeah, this is my native village that you just visited. So he's pointing out his sister and his father and his brother. In your pictures. In my pictures. (laughs) This is, I visited his village, right? Wow. So he's telling me about, you know, their diet and et cetera, et cetera. And then this is the moment that changed my life when he told me about female genital mutilation and child marriage. So I'm like, what is female genital mutilation? So he tells me, the girls in my community there's a rite of passage that they have to go through in order to be considered a woman, and it's called female genital mutilation. So he tells me about horrors of it, where girls, when they reach puberty, their clitorises are cut, their labia is cut, and now they're prepared to be married. And the whole reason for doing this rite of passage to womanhood is to keep the women clean and to suppress their sexual desire. So, I'm totally horrified because I'm on a safari to see elephants and I'm learning about FGM. But, like I said, there's a reason for everything. Yes. Right? So, he's telling me about all this and he says girls are married when after they're cut. They're married to old men who could be their grandfathers. Um, It's basically an exchange, a girl for some livestock. Sheep, cattle, camels, right? Goats. (sighs) So... He looked up, and I'll never forget the day, the exact words were, he looked up to the sky and he said, Saida, I want to start a community-based organization to eradicate female genital mutilation and child marriage before it's my youngest sister's turn to get cut. Mm -hmm. Girls in my community drop out of primary school because they're forced to marry. He says, we need to educate my community to stop these two vices. So I knew how serious he was. And so I said, you know, Samuel, I live 8,000 miles away in New Jersey, but I'll help you. I have experience as a proposal writer, grant proposal writer. I've done fundraising. I can help raise awareness. And so a big smile came across his face. He pointed at me and said, great, (laughs) you will be our president. (laughs) And I just said, okay. Right then and there, we co-founded Pastoralist Child Foundation. How are we going to do this? Do we need money? Blah, 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 right? Right. I just said, I'll help you, and we're doing this. I've heard the story.
0: Yes, But hearing it again, Mm -hmm. it's just as powerful as when I heard it the first time. Mm -hmm. It hits home for me, which is truly the message in these guest episodes, Mm -hmm. is that you must follow your gut and step out on faith. You will meet the right people at the right time. It will unfold. Mm -hmm. It does. You have to be patient. And Mm -hmm. when I think about your background in terms of you had worked for a nonprofit, you already had all of this information, and maybe at the time... You were doing your thing. Mm-hmm. You didn't necessarily see the future, right? But you were being schooled yes. all that time so that you could be ready to do right. one and of the... open to it. Yes, yeah,
1: and totally yes. open to it, yes. trusting in the universe, trusting mm-hmm. in someone other than myself. Because yes. who am I, right?
0: You're a player, though, in the universe. Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> You're an I... important player in the universe Thank you.
0: because, Thank you. you know, we're all. There's no lesser or greater. Mm-hmm. We're all one mm-hmm. and we each are pieces of beautiful fabric. We forget yes. that and we right. start putting up divisions. Mm. But there was something in Samuel that felt he could tell you this. Because when you think yeah. about it, this is a stranger. Total stranger. You're a yes. visitor to his country yeah. and he starts telling you about FGM. Right. What you know, it's it goes beyond odds mm-hmm. and chances. Mm-hmm. It is Feeling, you know, he operated on his gut feeling that you were somebody mm. that would listen. Yes, absolutely.
1: I have a personal mission. When I was working at a non, at the other nonprofit for the homeless, you know, every nonprofit has a mission statement, mm-hmm. and so I read it one time. A person should have his or her own mission statement. Mm. So I made my mission statement probably 20 years ago, and it's very simple. It's. Tell me what you want, and I'll help you get it. That's my personal mission statement. Mm. That's what that's what drives me. That's what that's what I love to do. Is mm. tell me what you want, and I'll help you get it with all sincerity, with all the possible effort. And I can vouch I can. for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can yeah. vouch for that. That that is extraordinary. So mm. you and I were talking about the fact that I'm sure many of you in the audience have heard of FGM, uh, maybe not the acronym, but female genital mutilation, and you think it's something that happens over there Mm. in undeveloped
1: countries. Mm. But you were schooling me that it's right here in the US. It's right here in the US, yes. As a matter of fact, the World Health Organization estimates that worldwide 200 million girls and women have undergone FGM. Oh. Millions are still at risk every day. And on any given day, six to 8,000 girls around the world are mutilated. Now, in the United States, 500,000 girls and women are at risk. Okay? August is called cutting season, as in cutting off the clitoris. So, if you have people living here in the United States from practicing communities in Africa, Middle East, they send their girls home during summer holidays here, back to Somalia, back to Egypt, back to (sighs) Mali, right? Practicing countries. And the girls are cut in the summer during their summer vacations. And then they come back to the States. So not only is that happening, it's happening in doctor's offices here in the United States. People very strongly believe that their daughters should undergo FGM. That is something
0: that is slowly changing in some communities and your foundation is helping to make that
1: shift. When you go over there, what are you doing when you go to Kenya? So what we do is we have workshops for youth and we have workshops for adults and elders. Mm. So the workshops for youth, they're for boys and girls, right? Because the boys need to know what the harmful effects are, child marriage so this is an example for four days we take 60-70 girls to a school where there's a dormitory and for four days they're learning about FGM child marriage teen pregnancy which is rampant HIV AIDS and STDs self awareness Mm. self confidence Mm. child rights the importance of education okay So for those 4 days, they've got their books, their pencils, we've got our facilitators who are social workers, local teachers, doctors, nurses, doing the workshops. So for those 4 days, they're learning. The parents know what the curriculum is, so the parents are on board. 100% of the women that we interview no longer want to practice FGM. We've come in, actually this was, my, was Samuel's idea. This isn't what, This wasn't my idea coming in an American slash Canadian woman, you know, shaking the finger and saying, mm-hmm. oh, you shouldn't be doing this. This was Samuel's idea. So at first he was getting death threats. He was, you know, they were threatening to excommunicate him from the tribe and he says, you guys say what you want, but I made a promise to my mother, right? His mother under, had gone, undergone FGM forced to marry, lived in a, you know, community where things were a little funky, never went to school. And on her dying bed, she made Samuel promise that he would take care of his sisters. So his sisters are in high school. Um, He saved his sister from being cut. You know, we (sighs) have saved more than 2,000 girls from undergoing FGM. That is amazing. Yes. So Amazing. we're now working alongside the Girl Generation, UNICEF, um, many organizations who are we're all working together now um, to finally end FGM by the year 2030. Mm. So the age range of girls yes. that take this workshop with mm-hmm. you? 8 to 17. 8 to 17? Yes. When we first started, it was 12, 13 years old. But now, because people are doing it in secret... They're taking girls who are younger and younger and younger before they're even aware of what FGM is. Oh, please say that one more time. So, when we first started, right, we, we started with girls who were about 12 years old. Now we're down to starting them at 8 years old to educate them about all this. Because, because girls are being cut at... at younger ages. There are some <sighs> communities who are cutting babies right after birth.
0: Okay, now I don't mean to be graphic here, But just in case you don't remember what a clitoris and a lebia is, Mm -hmm. I want you in the audience to just envision somebody forcibly holding
1: you down. And in some instances, it's the mother, yes? The mothers are usually the ones who hold down the girls, spread their legs. An old circumciser, grandmother-age circumciser, comes in with a razor blade. The girls are lined up on the ground. The old circumciser cuts off the clitoris and the labia with a razor blade. No anesthesia. And she just throws the clitoris away as if it's nothing. So imagine the horror, the pain, the trauma, right? Girls looking up at their own mothers holding them down because the mothers are basically not forced to do this, but still, in, it's so deeply rooted in, in their tradition that they're, you know, they're still feeling that this should be done to their girls, right? If they're not done to the girls, if a girl is not circumcised, they get teased because you're not a woman, you're not a woman, and harassed, because everyone knows who is and isn't circumcised. So there's a tremendous pressure to be circumcised. So now, like I said, with our workshops, we have community dialogues. Now we have women speaking up and saying, we don't want this for our girls enough, anymore. Pastor Rose Chomp Foundation, we sponsor girls to go to secondary boarding schools, right? So that they get an education and the girls are not circumcised. We make sure they're not circumcised. The parents have to agree, promise not to circumcise them. And as long as they're being sponsored by our, our organization, then they cannot circumcise the girls. And so the more girls we get into schools, the better. Enrollment has gone up since we started our program seven years ago because now they realize the importance of education. Girls that we are sponsoring, one of them got a full scholarship to University of Nairobi. Full scholarship, she'll be starting end of this year. Another one is studying um, computers, Another one is studying to be a nurse. They're going to go back to their communities and help their communities. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to
0: uh, give somebody fish, Mm. but you have to teach them how to fish. Absolutely. So that they can take care of themselves. And this is what they want
1: to do. So we also do women's economic empowerment workshops. So Mm -hmm. we have helped one group of 25 women from the village that I first visited um, I got them a grant to build their own jewelry and artifacts, Curio. So now they are business owners. And another group of women in Masai Mara, a group of 60 women. Wow. We got a grant for it so that they can do a project um, called the Bulls and Lambs Fattening Project. So they're going to fatten up these bulls and lambs that they bought. And with the funds, the money that they make, they'll be able to send more girls to school.
0: And it perpetuates mm-hmm. itself. When you empower mm-hmm. people, mm. it's it's like a a virus.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: but a good one. But a good one. Because it just yeah. spreads and spreads and spreads. Right. And the seeds that you plant mm-hmm. they grow and they're planting seeds. Sure. So it's just this continuum. Yeah. Right. When this airs, this is going to air, you have a fundraiser coming up in yes. October.
1: Please speak back. Oh that. sure. So our annual fundraising party is on Friday, October 25th at the Glenridge Country Club in Glenridge, New Jersey, and um, so we're going to have Samuel will fly in from Kenya, so he'll be present. And we'll have a silent auction, a live auction, um, terrific, really good food and drinks. And Samuel and another Kenyan woman are going to do a Kenyan dance presentation. And then at the end of it, they'll invite everybody to join in. So we'll all, you know, learn some Kenyan folklore dancing. The tickets are on Eventbrite. So you can go to eventbrite.com and type in Pastoralist, P-A-S-T-O-R-A-L-I-S-T, Child Foundation. You'll see the link to get the tickets. Um, The short link is the http colon slash slash bit dot (laughs) lee slash gala. And I'll have all that in the show notes. So all you
0: have to do, you'll be able to click on the links that you need. Yeah. If people want to get more involved in what you're doing, Mm -hmm. what's your website, email, all that stuff? How do you want people to reach out?
1: So our website is pastoralistchildfoundation.org. If they want more information, send an email to info at pastoralistchildfoundation.org. They can call. Our phone number is 973-980-7860. And I'll pick up the phone and say hello in either French, English, Russian, Ukrainian, <laughs> Spanish, right? So give me a call and see what, what language you get. <laughs> but um, yeah, we're we're very we're a small nonprofit. Our goal is to raise forty thousand dollars at our fundraiser in October. So hopefully that'll work out, and then we'll have you know a good amount of money to continue our our very very important Extremely workshops. Extremely important. So
0: while Mm -hmm. you're doing this, you're also teaching at your schools,
1: and do you want to talk a little bit about your experiences with your students? It is so interesting because I only teach adults. So in my classroom, in one class, it could be a combination of people from Haiti, Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico, Senegal, Uh, Mal—you know, French, um, French French-speaking African countries where they come here they want to learn English. South America, from Peru, Colombia, many different countries in South America. So it's a mix, and my students love bringing me food because I told them, (laughs) I tell them right at the beginning of the year, you know, if you feed me, you will be my friend for life, right? So just last week, one student in my um, adult basic ed class, she brought me kalalu. She's Jamaican, so she brought some seeds from Jamaica, and made me some callaloo. Oh. Yes, it was so delicious. Oh my Yes, so my, my students like to bring me food. and That's why when I looked in the mirror this morning, I looked a little bigger. Because <laughs> you guys keep bringing me food. The honey buns and the muffins. Oh, and, honey buns. And, oh and my the goodness. oxtail from Jamaica. I oh. mean, it's wonderful. I That's what
0: it is. That Saida yes. is a, an amazing cook. So she really
1: has an appreciation for good food. <laughs> I was just going to say so the joys of teaching adults is is also wonderful because they they're there because they want to be there, mm. you know, to learn English. They have I've heard stories, horror stories of how they journeyed from their countries in Central America to the United <laughs> States. Just you know, the bus ride and and just the horrors, you know, walking for miles with their children and, you know, these are good people, hard-working people. My students, they work at night, they come to the class in the morning, you know, and they're, they're prepared and ready and they're respectful, you know, it's thank you, teacher, at the end of every lesson, they're so grateful, you know, and I just wish them the best and I do my best to get them prepared to find jobs here, find jobs and, you know, be able to provide for their families and whatnot. So that is really rewarding as well. Oh, that is fantastic.
0: What do you see Mm -hmm. for your future? What do you see? What dream wise? Dream wise? Yeah.
1: Not planning wise, but dream wise. Um, Our own school in Kenya, (gasps) our own (gasps) secondary boarding school in Kenya. Yes. For... Maybe 300 girls, right? A nice size secondary boarding school in Kenya. It would be, that would be a dream come true. We have the land. The land has been donated. If we get the money to, but, you know, we have secured the land. It's just a matter of raising the funds to build, yeah. A okay,
0: school. okay. Well, you have spoken it into the universe, mm. and I am expecting, I will expect. Okay. That phone call or text or something, <laughs> we got the way it, right? <laughs> the school. I know that that's gonna come. I know that's gonna happen. It's it's already yeah in God the ether. Willing. Yeah, already in the ether. Sounds good. Thank you so much.
1: You're so welcome. Thank mm. you so much.
0: Ah. I love you forever. I love you forever. And I'm getting her some cookies. Yes, <laughs> bring them on. I get so geeked up when I hear an inspiring story. If you are one of the many, 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 many people out there who's working a job you hate or following a career that no longer burns for you, begin to see what it is that you actually want to do. Write it down wherever you want to write it down. Write it on paper, write it on your phone, your computer, your tablet. Whatever works, write it down. Begin to see yourself having it, achieving it, creating it. Willpower, trust, faith. Don't tell yourself you can't. Don't allow anyone else to tell you you can't. Thank you for listening. If you want to find out more information about my guest, just look at the show notes. All of the links are there. And remember to roll with peace in mind.